Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, Spiritual Gifts. All right, well, chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. All right, the believers in Corinth had a lot of questions for their founding pastor, the Apostle Paul. And by this time, by the time um, all this is written, you know, you know, because you were with us, uh, hopefully the first couple months we started Corinthians, Paul has long since moved on from Corinth to continue to plant churches all around the Roman Empire. And so because he wasn't there in the city, what they did, what the local church did is they wrote down their questions and then they mailed off their questions to the Apostle Paul. Of course, they didn't have email. He didn't get it the next day. Like we have the modern day technology today. Uh, it probably took weeks or months for the questions to finally catch up to Paul. He was in Asia Minor. Remember, he was in Ephesus. He receives the questions. And so Paul either dictates or takes a pen in hand, and he answers all the questions that the local church over in Greece had for him. And what a privilege that we have the letter that Paul wrote opened up before us. I mean, is that just amazing to me or to you also that we have that letter? It's, a, it's crazy good. This is a priceless treasure that we have open before us. Not just because it's a man's word, it's God's word through a man. What a privilege, what an honor to be able to study God's word. And so now earlier, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, 1, he said, quote, now concerning the things of which you wrote me. Okay, hey Corinthians, now concerning the things of which you wrote me. That's how we know they sent him a letter. And then over and over in the epistle, he says, now concerning. And then he deals with the topic. Now concerning, and he deals with the topic. Now concerning, he deals with another topic. And now we get to chapter 12, verse one, and he says, now concerning spiritual gifts. Okay, let's define our terms. What in the world is a spiritual gift? We covered this in Ephesians 4. If you were with us back when we taught through Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, but here's the definition if you're taking notes. A spiritual gift is a God-given ability. That's important that you get that. It is a God-given ability to serve God and other Christians in such a way that Christ is glorified and believers are edified. And I know some of you guys are writing this down, so I'm not gonna rush you. A spiritual gift is a God-given ability to serve God and other Christians. And I would add to that also non-believers, right? The gift of evangelism. In such a way that Christ is glorified and believers, others, are edified. Now, Here's what you need to know about our God. Our God loves to give gifts to his children. How many of you guys are parents? Let me see your hands, right? How many of you parents love to give gifts to your kids? I, 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 I love it, right? I, I love giving gifts to my kids more than receiving gifts. And I know you're the same as a parent. It's the same thing with God. God loves giving gifts to his children and he gives us his gifts when we experience the new birth. All right, so... When you and I heard the gospel 
And by the way, I always try to get the gospel in every single message that I preach. Because I know God is sending visitors from all over the Treasure Coast who don't know Jesus yet, right? And so they gotta hear the gospel, so here's the gospel. Here's what the gospel is not. The gospel is not, hey, all roads lead to heaven, all religions, as long as you're sincere, you're gonna make it to heaven someday because God's a loving God. That is not the gospel at all. The gospel is not, hey, you know, as long as you're living a good, pretty good life, you know, God's not going to send anybody to hell. Just do the best you can, and when you get there, everything's going to be fine. That is not the gospel. What is the gospel? Well, you got to give the good, the bad news before you give the good news. And ladies and gentlemen, I, I know because I listened to some gospel presentations that this is the part that is left out. And what happens is people go straight to the good news and there's no conviction of the Holy Spirit. Unless somebody realizes they're lost, they can never be found. You don't accept Jesus so he can make your life better. That's not getting saved. You know what the gospel is? The gospel is that you and I have sinned and offended a holy God. That's where the gospel starts that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that there is none righteous, no, not one. And it's not even enough to say, yeah, I'm a sinner, I did bad things. No, there needs to be, right? The Holy Spirit came to convict the world. Everybody say convict. The Holy Spirit came to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. There's gotta be some conviction of sin. There's gotta be a desire to turn from that sin. And there's gotta be a realization that the wages, Romans 6.23, of sin is death. Physical death. Ever since I turned in my, into my late 40s, man, I feel something changing inside of me. Everything's kind of like slowing down. I was throwing the football with my, my friends and uh, family yesterday, and I'm like, threw the football, I'm like, oh, what is going on? on. I can't handle this anymore because I've always been active my whole life, but my body is slowing down. What, what does that mean? I'm headed towards death. <laughs> so are you. Just want to share that good news with you this morning. And it's not just physical death. It's spiritual death as well. What's spiritual death? And I don't care if every preacher in America is afraid to say this. I'll say it. Spiritual death is eternal separation from God in a place called hell, right from the Bible. I don't like what that says. Well, this is the only God-breathed book on the planet. You either listen to it for your blessing or you ignore it to your condemnation. But here's the good news. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And that one and only son, the eternal son, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, that God entered time and space through a virgin's womb. He wrapped himself, that eternal God, wrapped himself in human flesh to seek and to save those who were lost. And he lived a perfect life, never sinned once. And he went to a Roman cross, willingly, to give his life. Why? Listen, he received, this is what you got to hear. 
He received the punishment you should have gotten. He received the punishment I should have received. What's that? Rejection and death. And he paid it all. And at the, at, at the end of that, that time on the cross, what did he cry out? He said, it's finished. There's no more work to be done. You can't work your way to heaven. Jesus did all the work that's necessary, right? He did it for us. The gospel has got to be Christ-centered. And so, man, he paid for our sins, and then he rose from the dead three days later, victorious over sin, death, and hell. All right, so when we heard that gospel, the true gospel, and we best way we know how, turn from our sins. Doesn't mean we're perfect, but we don't want that life anymore. We turn from our sins, and we embrace Jesus Christ and his death as our death, his payment as our payment. When we received him by faith, we received a new birth. Now, I don't know if everybody in this room has received a new birth or not. There may be people here today who are just trying your best and you're religious and you have not received a new birth, i.e. Nicodemus, John chapter three. But you need to receive a new birth. You need to receive spiritual life. When did that happen for those of us who are saved? It happened the moment we put our trust in Christ. And by the way, God did not regenerate us so we could believe. Nowhere taught in the Bible. The Holy Spirit drew us and wooed us and called us. We heard the gospel. He's working on us, right? And when we chose to turn from our sins and receive Christ, he made us alive spiritually. And then the Holy Spirit came down inside of us. And not only did the Holy Spirit come down inside of us to live, he also brought with him spiritual gifts. Why? Why did he give us gifts? So that we could serve Christ. Hey, outside of your salvation, there's not a lot of things that are more important than serving Christ. Okay, listen to this. We are saved to serve. We don't serve to get saved. You guys get that, right? I, I feel like I preach it, preach it, preach it, preach it, because I, I know that the America, American folk religion is just work your way in. It's not true. You don't serve to be saved. You're saved by grace, and that motivates us to serve. And the only way that we can effectively serve Christ is if we are moving and operating in the spiritual gifts that he has given us. So if we could look at the definition one more time, spiritual gifts, go back to the very, uh, Warren Weir's video, spiritual gifts, a God-given ability. Everybody say God-given ability. Okay, now that leads you to your next point. Go ahead, please. Spiritual gifts are divine enablements and not human talents. Okay, I would not have you ignorant, brothers and sisters. So you guys gotta get this. This, is, this really is Christianity 101. So please get this. Please learn this today. Spiritual gifts are God-given abilities. They're divine enablements. They're not human talents. A person may develop a talent in music or sports or auto mechanics, right? Or hacky sack. <laughs> you know, you may be able on the beach to do that for hours. Well, that's awesome. I'm not here to put that down at all. But that's not what Paul is talking about. Paul was talking about gifts from another world. Now, one of my spiritual gifts is teaching. And I know with all my heart, that my spiritual gift of teaching is a divine enablement 
It is not, it is not, believe me, it is not a human talent. And the way that I know that is because when I was growing up, I didn't want to be a public speaker. In fact, I was scared to death to stand in front of a crowd in my younger years. And by the way, that fear of public speaking, I, I joined most Americans in my earlier years of life. An article in the Washington Post from October of 2014 names Americans' three greatest fears. Guess what the number one greatest fear of Americans is? Public speaking. Second biggest fear, heights. <laughs> Third biggest fear, snakes and bugs and other animals. So apparently, people would rather be chased by a snake and bitten by a tarantula than stand before a crowd and speak. Okay? And so I remember how afraid I was to speak publicly. And I remember back in college. Okay, we're taking a trip back now almost 30 years. And I remember I had to give a speech in my speech class. And I picked the topic of Ricky Tiki Tavi. You guys remember this? The mongoose fights the cobra to save the whole family. And I had to get in front of 25 or 30 of my fellow students in college, and I had to act it out in front of everybody. And I, I, know, I know it was back in like 87, I think. And, and as I, I remember this faint memory. I was so afraid my knees were knocking together. And I wanted to ask the teacher, can I go behind a podium, right, so, I, so no one would see how afraid I am. And if I could somehow go back in time and I could watch that speech, one of two things would happen. Either I would die a thousand deaths of embarrassment or I would laugh, I would just like laugh so hard I start crying, right? Because I'm sure it was terrible. But then guess what? Later in life, God calls me to be a pastor. So what does he do? Not what did I do? What did he do? Well, first he gave me the gift when I was born again. But then what did he do? He developed the gift, right? When God, when you find out what your spiritual gift is, you need to know that that's a gift from God. It's a divine enablement. It's not a human talent. But then you got to understand that it's the Holy Spirit who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And so now, instead of dreading public speaking, instead of looking down with my knees shaking, now I feel like every Sunday morning, I feel like a quarterback an NFL quarterback ready to start the big game on Sunday. I can't wait to get here and share the word of God with you. That's God. That's God. A divine enablement. I mean, I feel like Tom Brady sometimes on Sunday mornings. But I want to encourage you. I don't want to deflate you. Okay, but anyway. So. Anyway. Pastor Lee, we just lost some Patriot fans. Please adjust the budget. All right, so. Ladies and gentlemen, it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Spiritual gifts are God-given enablements, not human talents. And when we use our spiritual gifts, guess who gets the glory? God. And if anybody ever tries to give me credit for my teaching ministry, you know, I, I appreciate the encouragement, but all I have to do is go back and think of Ricky Tiki Tavi, and I know it's God. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, 
I do not want you to be ignorant. There's a lot of ignorance concerning spiritual gifts in the first century. A lot of commentators believe that some of the area pagan religions, some of the practices in the area pagan religions were seeping into the church. A lot of ignorance in the church of Corinth, a lot of abuse of the gifts in the church of Corinth. And there's a lot of ignorance and a lot of abuse of the gifts today in the 21st century. And so instead of being ignorant, hey, let's learn about it. Look at verse two. You know that you are Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Okay, so he's talking about their BC days. You were Gentiles, okay, pagans. What's a pagan? Someone who believes in many gods, buys into polytheism, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Okay, we've already established over and over that the ancient Greeks, the ancient Romans were polytheistic. They believed in many gods, little g, and they followed after dumb idols, idols that cannot speak, cannot move, cannot, certainly can't do any kind of miraculous thing. And so Paul's point now in verses two and three, speaking to the Corinthians, is what he's saying is, hey, your past experience in paganism, your past experience in pagan religions is not helping you, assisting you, enlightening you in any way concerning the true God and concerning true spiritual gifts or what's really going on in the spirit realm. And so in the Corinthians BC days, in their pagan days, when they were involved in these weird religions, they may have had paranormal experiences. They may have had counterfeit gifts displayed through them. They may have fallen over into a trance. They may, listen to this, have uttered all sorts of gibberish out of their mouth while they're in some trance. And by the way, you go ahead and look it up. You do the the history study. You can find an abundance of evidence of that kind of stuff going on in pagan religions. And so in their pagan days, their BC days, the Corinthians may have experienced demonic influence, but it certainly wasn't the influence of the Holy Spirit. In their pagan days, in their BC days, as they're dominated by paganism and demonic spirits, they may even, in one of their trances, said, Jesus is accursed. But then they met the Lord Jesus Christ by the Lord's grace. And the Holy Spirit began to influence them. The Holy Spirit began to do his work in them. And so they could never, ever, ever say those awful words. In fact, under the control of the Holy Spirit, Now all they can say is, Jesus is Lord. (laughs) Now, did you know, and I want everybody like you mean it to say, Jesus is Lord. Go ahead. Jesus is Lord. Okay, now, do you know that if you just said that sincerely, that you just proclaimed publicly your belief that Jesus is God? I love Charles Ryrie. I don't agree with everything the guy has to say. I agree with 95% of it. I love my 
Charles Ryrie study Bible that I have my devotions in. And I love his comment to help all of us out as a local church today. A believer led by the Spirit of God would never curse Jesus, but rather acknowledge his supreme lordship, i.e. his complete deity as Yahweh. I got to park here for a little while. Just a little while. Because some of you guys, when you read in the Greek New Testament, your English version, and you see Jesus is Lord, you just think that just simply means master. You need to understand that when that word Lord is used, it's talking about his complete deity as Yahweh. How do you know that? Here's how I know that. Paul's Bible was the Septuagint. So was Peter, John, and all the New Testament writers, right? The Septuagint, um, um, translated from Hebrew to Greek before the time of Christ, that's the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, but it was translated into Greek, the Septuagint. Whenever they got to the name God, right, they would, in the Greek, it would be kurios, K-U-R-I-O-S, and then when the Apostle Paul comes on the scene and Peter and the rest of the guys, and they wrote the New Testament, which is in Koine Greek, which by the way, is the modern um, everyday language of the Greeks, which is why I have no problem with accurate modern day translations, which is why I absolutely reject that the King James Bible is the only authentic Bible on the planet. Please give me a break and don't send me any emails. I'm not changing my position. Koine Greek, everyday common language because you're not supposed to make God's word so flowery and uppity that the average person who comes to Christ doesn't know what it means. You got to put it down on their level. And that's what Paul did. And that's what Peter did. And when they translated, um, when they wrote the New Testament in Koine Greek, when they gave Jesus his title, they gave him the name Kurios, the same word for God. Do you, guys, do you guys get this? I hope you do. Jesus is God. But when someone says Jesus is not God, they may be speaking by a spirit, but they're certainly not speaking by the Holy Spirit. And so when a Mormon knocks on your door, here's what you need to know about that Mormon. They believe Jesus was a God, little g, but anybody can become a God. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That's what they believe. I'm, I'm your pastor. You got to know. They don't believe in the same Jesus you and I believe in. When a Jehovah Witness knocks on your door, they believe that Jesus was Michael the Archangel before he came to earth, a created angel. Not the same Jesus. It's a Jesus who cannot save you. When a Christian science, um, you go to their reading room, you'll find out they believe Jesus was a man who displayed the Christ idea. He wasn't God. The Unification Church, Jesus was a perfect man, but he was not God. Islam, Jesus was just a prophet and a miracle worker. He was not God. I sat in a, um, a Muslim uh, um, temple there, and I heard the cleric preach against the Trinity, totally dismantled it. Why? 
Because he doesn't believe in the same God we believe in, ladies and gentlemen. You know what, what's, what's sad is that most Americans, they believe Islam, Jews and Christians, it's all the same God. Allah is not our God. Allah's the moon God. He's not the true God. Okay, so just do a little bit of studying, understand what the Bible really teaches, and be bold enough to speak the truth in love. Hinduism, Jesus was a guru or an avatar. He wasn't God. Okay, so all these religions and hundreds more, when they say Jesus is not God, then they're not speaking by the Holy Spirit. But when someone says Jesus is Lord God, then you know if they're saying it sincerely that they are speaking by the Holy Spirit. Question before we move on to verse four. Is Jesus your Lord and God? Is he? Is he the true Jesus? The eternal Jesus? The Bible, Jesus, is he really, really your Lord God? Do you just confess that with your lips or can it be seen by your spouse and kids, by your life? Ouch, Pastor Mike, yeah. Verse four, there are diversity of gifts, please underline, but the same spirit, underline spirit there. Okay, so we're all in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. There are diversity of gifts, but the same underlying spirit. There are diversities of ministries, but the same, please underline, Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but the same, please underline, God, who works all in all. What was Paul saying here? If you're taking notes, it's your next point. There are different kinds of gifts and ministries and displays of power for those ministries given to the church by our triune God. There are different kinds of gifts, verse 4, ministries, verse 5, and displays of power, verse 6, given to the church by our triune God. Okay, so look at verse four. There are different kind of gifts. We're gonna find out in the next three or four weeks that there's about 19 of those spiritual gifts given to the church, listed in Romans, 1 Corinthians, and Ephesians. Verse five, please look at it in your Bibles. There are different kind of ministries. And so those ministries would include the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, I'm quoting Ephesians 4 here, and the pastor teachers. Please notice the article, the, it's not the five-fold ministry, it's the four-fold ministry. The pastor teacher is, the, is one ministry. And a hundred other ministries is what he's talking about there in verse 5. And then verse 6, my favorite, there are different kind of activities. The, the Greek word for activities, the transliteration is energama from where we get our English word, energy. And so there's various outpourings of the power and the energy of the Holy Spirit on men and women as they use their gifts in whatever ministry they're called to serve in. And so different gifts, different ministries, different displays of power, but the same spirit, verse four. And I have um, written right next to verse four, you may wanna write it down too, that's the Holy Spirit. 
different gifts, different ministries, different power, but the, verse five, same Lord. You may wanna write next to verse five, that's the Lord Jesus. Different gifts, different ministries, different power, but the same God, verse six, that's referring to the Father. So there you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, a beautiful picture of the Trinity. Do you see that? If you're new to the Bible, one God. We don't believe in three gods. <laughs> one God, eternally existent in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's all over the New Testament, and it's even referred to in the Old Testament. Look at now, please, at verse 7. If you're looking at 7, let me know you're with me. Say amen. Okay, so check it out. But the manifestation, underline that word, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. That's everybody, not just the pastor. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Okay, if you're taking notes, I got to define manifestation for you. It simply means shining forth. Oh, I love it. Love it, love it, love it. Look at verse seven again. But the shining forth of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Each one. Everybody say, each one. Each one. Now, you, now, now please say, that's me. Okay, so the shining forth of the Spirit is given to, pardon my bad English, all y'all. So the question now is, do you shine? Do you shine? You say, how do I shine? The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. You shine when you use your gift. Now, now listen, that's why it's so important that you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's why it's so important that we're operating in our giftedness. Because when we're filled with the Spirit and we're operating in our giftedness, then we're shining for the Lord. But if we're not filled with the Spirit, if we're always in the flesh, always a big grump, always upset about complaining about whatever, and we're not filled with the Spirit and we don't even know what our spiritual gifts are, we are not shining for the Lord and the church is dead. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a part of a dead church, right? And so, hey, you may be operating in your human talent. You may be given a great performance, attracting big crowds. People may even be standing and applauding you. But guess what? If you're just operating in your talent, their lives aren't being changed. If you're just operating in your talents, your human talents, no one's life is being changed. You're just drawing attention to yourself. And so I want the Spirit to fill me. I want the Spirit to enable me to operate in the gifts he has given me. What gifts? Pastor, teacher, leadership, discerning of spirits. And I hope to God and pray to God that as I'm sharing these messages week after week, there's word of wisdom coming out, not because I'm so wise, no, but because the Holy Spirit is operating in and through me. And it's not to bring attention to myself. It's always to bring attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's always to bring glory to him. 
and to help his people. Can, did you hear those two motives? Listen to those two motives. If you want to make it to the judgment seat of Christ, then turn from your sins and accept Christ. He'll forgive your sins. But if you want at that judgment seat of Christ for your works that you did on earth to make it through the fire and you want to receive some rewards, please, please listen. Make sure that your motive for everything that you do is the glory of God and the good of his people. And if your motive is the glory of God and the good of his people, then man, you're going to have a lot of rewards in the next life, a lot of crowns to cast at the feet of Jesus Christ. I want you to discover your spiritual gift. I want you to shine for the Lord. So why were spiritual gifts given to us, if you're taking notes? Spiritual gifts are given to us so we can edify and encourage other people. It's for the profit of all. Spiritual gifts, they're given to us by the Spirit so we can edify and we can encourage other people. You say, where's that? Look at verse seven again. He says, it's for the profit of, help me out, all. Please notice it doesn't say it's for the profit of the preacher. It doesn't say it's for the profit of the dynamic, flashy faith healer or televangelist, right? Who goes around the world in some kind of international ministry, taking advantage of people, making outrageous amounts of money, flying around in his own private jet, only to return home to one of his mansions so that people can wait on him hand and foot. It's not what it says in verse seven. It's not for the profit of the faith healer or the televangelist. It's for the profit of the church. And so you might say, but, but Pastor Mike, you don't understand that guy on TV or that lady on TV, she's, he or she is so captivating to, to listen to. Of course they are. But the next time you listen to them, if you listen to them, I want, I want to give you a homework assignment. Don't focus on the delivery of their message. Focus on the content of their message. What in the world are they preaching? Right? Is it whatever? I don't know. Is it the 10 easy steps to how to win at life? Or is it the word of God? And if it's not the word of God, let me give you some good advice. Turn the guy or turn the lady off. Right? The gifts were given not for the profit of some faith healer or televangelist. No, look again at verse 7. It's that everyone in the local church, it's for their profit. It's for them to be built up. It's for them to be encouraged. It's for them to be edified. It's for them to, to discover their spiritual gifts and actually use their spiritual gifts. It's not so just one guy can use his spiritual gift and that's the summation of Christianity. No, it's when everybody in the local church discovers and begins to use their spiritual gifts to build everybody up. Hey, you wanna find a place to use your spiritual gift? You come to the right place. All you got to do is look around and within 100 feet of you are hundreds of people who are broken, hurting, and they need you. 
within 100 feet of you. See, some of you may have thought you came to church, right? So for, for you, primarily for you, right? And, and you got it all wrong. You came to church for Jesus, number one, and others. Remember that? And so you want to use your gift? Use it here. People all around you, are, there's people gravely ill. There's people who have gravely ill loved ones. There's people in this church who just lost a loved one the last year. They need encouragement. There's people, right, who have, have uh, family members that are deployed overseas, fighting the good fight for us to keep us safe, and they miss their loved one. There's, there's parents here that are struggling over a prodigal son or prodigal daughter, and their hearts are breaking in silence right here in this room. There's little children that come from broken homes, and they need a home. And next week, for a few minutes, we're going to allow four kids to come and talk about how maybe God may be calling you to adopt one of these kids from a broken home. There's people in this church with addictions to alcohol and drugs and pornography, and they don't need us to kick them out of church. They need us to love them and encourage them and help them. Use your gift. There's people in this church that suffer from panic attacks every single week of their lives, and no one would ever know. Others have have lost their job, a wife whose husband just walked out. People are struggling with their finances. Okay, so you want to find a place to use your gift, you've come to the right place. Our ninth core value, you can read about our core values on our website, but our ninth core value is this. We are passionate about being a hospital for sick people, not a museum for the self-righteous. That's one of our core values. That's who we are. And so, man, I thank God personally for our care ministry. I thank God for Pastor Bob and his care team and all the hundreds of people that these, this team is ministering to. But God never called just one team to meet all the needs. He's called the whole team to meet the needs of the church. So check it out. Next point, if you're taking notes, use your spiritual gift at church and in your life group. No, I'm not giving it up because there's still some of you who have not signed up and joined yet. <laughs> See, here's what you got to understand. We believe with every fiber of our being that God has something greater to do than just help a pastor preach a message once a week on Sunday. We believe with every fiber of our being that verse seven is best lived out, not just in a Sunday service, but all through the, Greek, uh, all through the week in, in, in life groups. We believe with every fiber of our being, right, that, that the Lord wants to, to use us, and verse seven is best lived out, not just by a pastor using his gift, and that's it, but by everybody knowing what their gifts are and everybody using their gifts on Sunday morning when they're serving the Lord in all these different ministries see going on, but also during the week in life groups. And when everyone finally gets out of their rows and into circles, a healthy church emerges because all the gifts are in operation. I really think someone needs to tweet that. Someone needs to put that on Facebook. Someone needs to write that down. I didn't make it a point, but I'm going to say it again, okay? If you're with me, say amen. Listen to this. This is how we're going to become a healthy church. This is how, it's not just going to be Pastor Mike saying, what a healthy church we have. 
This is how we're actually going to become a healthy church. When everyone finally, here it is, when everyone finally gets out of their rows and into circles, a healthy church emerges because all the gifts are in operation. All the gifts, all y'all, using your gifts to love one another and build them up. And so on Sunday mornings, yes, but especially in your life groups, make sure that you have a sensitive heart toward people who are in need and then ask God to show you what your spiritual gift is and then don't make a big deal about it. Don't make a big show about it. Just privately go and, hey, can I pray for you? Look for people who are in tears on Sunday morning. Look for people who are in tears in your life group. Don't make a big show about it, but just privately go to them and, and, and ask the Holy Spirit to use his gifts through you, right? Gifts like, we're gonna find out next week, the gifts of helps, the gift of mercy, the gift of healings, the gift of exhortation, the gift of giving, the gift of words of wisdom and words of knowledge. And so when we all do that, then what are we doing? We're shining for the Holy Spirit and we're actually becoming Coming the hospital that people need in this community. Not just me, everyone, everyone. And so look at verses eight through 11. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gift of healings by the same Spirit. Well, Pastor Mike, that one passed off with the closing of the canon of Scripture and the end of the apostolic age. Um, no, <laughs> all the gifts are for today. Thank you. Verse 10, to another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues to another interpretation of tongues. Well, the, Pastor Mike, those passed off. There, there are no tongues today. No, all the gifts, please say all. They're all for today. I understand that some are faked, some are abused, some are misappropriately used. We'll get into that next week. Verse 11, but one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. There are three places in the New Testament where the gifts of the Spirit are listed. Romans, 1 Corinthians, Ephesians. Please do not write this down. I'm just giving you a little taste of next week. I'll define all this next week. It might take two weeks. Okay, so we're going to go back to Romans. We're going to talk about prophecy. What is it? Ministry. What is it? Teaching. Exhortation. Giving. Leading. Mercy. And we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 12, the list we just read. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, healings. What really is the gift of healings? Miracles, prophecy again, discernment, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. We're going to go to verse 28 in 1 Corinthians. Three Bible passages, four lists. Apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, healings, helps, administrations, and tongues. And then we're going to go to Ephesians 4, not so much the gifts, but the gifted men in the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. And when you look at the four lists, again, we're going, to, we're going to find there's about 19 gifts of the Spirit that he gives to the church. And hopefully, if you have no idea what gift or gifts you have, 
then by the end of this three or four week series, you'll have a good idea of what your gifts are and you'll be able to begin to operate as you're filled with the Spirit. You'll begin to operate in your spiritual gift. And here is your last point. Before you can receive any of the gifts, the Holy Spirit must be living in you. Does the Holy Spirit live in you? I, I am so burdened, church family, because I feel like there's, there's people and there's, it's, it's no fault of their own, okay? They just don't know. But I feel like there's a bunch of people who think they're on their way to heaven and they're not. They think because they're religious, they're spiritual, they're on their way to heaven, and they're not. They, they really think, right? Again, no fault of their own. This is what you kind of hear throughout your life. They think at the end of life, they're gonna stand before God and you know, he's gonna be kind of a big Santa Claus with a big beard and a big smile on his face. And he's gonna say, okay, I'll weigh out your good and bad. Um, hey, look at that, good tips to scale, come on in. And that's nowhere taught in the Bible. Does the Holy Spirit live in you? Not is he out here, is he in here? Romans 8 says, the Spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are the children of God. It's one of the many evidences that we know that we're children of God. The Spirit's inside of us. Yesterday, I had a, such a beautiful time uh, by God's grace with the Lord going on a prayer walk and man, His Spirit witnessed to my spirit that I'm a child of God, all by His grace. It's like, man, all kind of craziness can be going on all around you, but when, when that happens, hey, everything's great. Does the Spirit live inside of you? You say, well, how can I get the Spirit inside of me? <laughs> you need to turn from your sins and you need to understand that there's only one way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no man comes to the Father but through me. You need to understand that Jesus is your only hope. Not the Jesus of religion, the Jesus of the Bible, the eternal Son of God. He's your only hope. One of the greatest gifts God can give His children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at www dot calvarypsl dot com and click on knowing christ